Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, everybody, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Cyberchurch broadcast. You know, every year at Christmas, I just have tremendous compassion come up in my heart for the many people uh, who really don't enjoy Christmas because of, of bad experiences growing up. Or, you know, there's some people that don't experience or don't enjoy Christmas just because they've never really discovered the value of making connections. There's a lot of reasons you don't enjoy Christmas, but, but I, I want to help you if you're struggling with any kind of holiday depression. Now, I, I'm telling you what. One of the greatest battles I had to fight uh, because I faced it every year for decades was holiday depression. You know, before I came to Jesus, I would start drinking and drugging uh, about October uh, so that I could skip past Thanksgiving and, uh, uh, and Christmas and sometimes even past Valentine's Day. And I'd sober up, you know, about May and uh, uh, and, and I'm telling you, it was just a horrible struggle for you every year. Your situation may be worse than mine. Your struggles may be way more out of control than mine were, or they may be a lot less. But it doesn't matter where you are on this, this, on this spectrum of depression or sadness or sorrow or however you would want to qualify it. Uh, man, I don't want you to stay there. God don't want you to stay there. You do not need to stay there. Uh, by the way, let me mention this, and I'll probably mention this again, but uh, every year I have a series, I think it's three messages, uh, called Creating Happy Holidays, and it goes into a lot of detail about the things that I did and the steps that I took to actually come out of uh, that holiday depression. Now, uh, I want you to know, it is still, Christmas is still not a big, big, big exciting thing for me, but it is an enjoyable thing for me. And my issues that I face now that, that I, think, I think I have under control, uh, they're not really related to Christmas. Many of you have heard my story. You heard me talk about this, how that, uh, you know, growing up, you know, I had, a, uh, I had an alcoholic father and then when my, and he was pretty violent. And when my mother remarried uh she married a man that turned out to be more violent than my father so the thing that we faced at every holidays number one we never had money at holidays because whether it was my stepfather or my father they would drink up every penny of money that you know that we had and so christmases were pretty slim and my mother worked really really hard to try to uh help us have some kind of enjoyable christmas and you know I can remember the one Christmas in my life that I actually enjoyed was the Christmas between my father leaving and my mother getting remarried. And I'm telling you, it was so wonderful not to have all this chaos and, and strife going on. Because basically what would happen would be every Christmas, uh, the drinking would start. And uh, at some point uh, in any get together, 
it was just a matter of time before these redneck relatives of mine, they would all end up in a fight and beating on each other, cussing each other. It, it would just be horrible. I mean, sometimes they would, I mean, sometimes they would, there'd be blood all over the floor and all that kind of stuff after it was over because, because of the incredible violence. And then another thing about Christmas that I deeply, deeply dislike, and that is spending time with relatives that I didn't know. They didn't know me. I, you know, many of them I did not like. Many of my father's relatives, they hated, uh, they hated us because, you know, my, my dad had been married before and they, they came from a Church of Christ background. And so in their eyes, he was going to go to hell because he got married again and they blamed my mother for that. And so there was never goodwill between hardly any of any of my relatives that were very far away. Of course, you know, the one bright light, and you've heard talk about my life was my, was my uncle. He was always, he was always a good influence when, when he came around. And of course, then there was my, my grandmother that I lived with on and off and she was mentally disturbed and that would probably hurt all of her kids and grandkids that are still alive. It probably hurt their feelings, but I, I lived with her. She was, she was emotionally and mentally unstable and, but she did a lot of good things for us. And so, so, you know, there was an effort, but you know, once you go through enough pain, once you go through enough disappointments, uh, eventually it just does something in your heart where you're always expecting something to go wrong. And like I say, I, I, I despise being around people that I don't know and that I don't like and, and trying to share intimate moments with them. So, you know, for me, there were, there were several challenges wrapped up in this thing. And so, you know, Brenda and I get married and Brenda loves Christmas. And uh, I'm thankful that she did because, you know, Brenda put an incredible amount of effort into making sure that our children, our family, and eventually our, our friends uh, could have a really, really good Christmas. Now, um, Many of you have seen the video. You can go on YouTube and see the video. I don't know. I don't remember what it's entitled. But uh, years ago, we just walked around here with a uh, phone and we videoed all the decorations that Brenda did inside. And man, we have had hundreds and hundreds of people watch that. And we've had a lot of people get inspired and turn their homes into a more pleasant place. So, so Brenda really was a key factor in helping me get out of this, this horrible mentality that I had for Christmas. But anyhow, uh, even though she put forth this effort, I do, I still want you to know that there were still incredible struggles. When we first got married, you know, I didn't get drunk anymore because I was a believer and I was a minister, but at the same time, I really, really struggled through Christmas. Yeah, I would do everything I could to be sociable, to be friendly, but I had to leave the room very often because I knew that I needed to get away from my kids and everybody. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I just would, you know, I just leave the room like I was going to the bathroom or something, but I'd, I'd be gone a while. And I, I would have to go away and just sometimes pray it through. I'd have to deal with, you know, with the emotions that were going on. And then I'd go back in and be with everybody again. And I would do everything I could to not disrupt everybody else's holiday. That's, that's one of the things you want to realize. Just because something is bad for you doesn't mean you have to make it bad for everybody around you. Because then every time you make a holiday or anything bad again, then that becomes a part of the collective sense of how you feel about you and that holiday. And so you will get 
more and more angry. You'll get more and more depressed if you are hurting and destroying the holidays for other people around you. So anyhow, you know, uh, there's, some, there's some real simple things that I, that I want to point out to you and I want to encourage you in. You know, one of the reasons, again, that we have bad holidays is number one, experiences from our past. Uh, number two, uh, we tend to uh, recreate the same traditions that our families had uh, growing up. And so people try to duplicate a holiday based on how they had it growing up. Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's, you know, it's not 1955 anymore. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to have a 1955 Christmas. Uh, you know, I've got a house full of kids and grandkids. And uh, so it's a whole, it's a whole different dynamic. And so the issue, one of the very first issues you need to say is, I do not need to duplicate or repeat tradition. I need to uh, get with my family and figure out what traditions they will enjoy the most. You know, here's a, here's a really, really simple thing. Of course, you know, Brenda and I, you know, we grew up with a house full of kids and eventually we had a house full of, of spouses and then we had a house full of grandkids. And as many of you know, and I'll talk to you a little bit about it in a few minutes, you know, we always invited hurting people, and people that were divorcees, people that were widows or widowers, people uh, who did not have family here, people that were single. And uh, we did not want them spending holidays alone. So, you know, we, we always, I don't think we ever have had a Christmas or a Thanksgiving with any less than 25 to 30 people here. And uh, uh, there were times that it would be several hundred people and we'd have to host it, host it somewhere else. But, uh, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we did that was so simple, and I didn't want Brenda just killing herself every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, just working herself to the bone. Now, she, it's, it's hard to slow her down when she works, but, uh, uh, but one of the big, big things that we did is, for example, on Christmas Eve, instead of having a meal, we just have soup. And so, so her and the girls would cook a bunch of different kinds of soups that the whole family likes and, and people would drop in and uh, family will drop in and we'll eat some soup together. We'll sit around and visit for a little while. And then, you know, we don't make it a big deal. And then we let them go spend time with the rest of their family, with their spouses, families, the, the, the way that they want to. But we just started finding ways, you know, in, in the beginning, Brenda wanted, to, Brenda wanted to cook a great big meal at Christmas, a great big meal at Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's like, no, if you're not going to enjoy this, if you're going to work so hard you can't enjoy it, no, then this is not what we're going to do. And so uh, talk to your family and just ask them how they would enjoy celebrating Christmas. Now, we know that Christmas has become a total commercial nightmare where you feel pressure to spend more money than you make. You feel pressure to buy expensive gifts for your kids, for your grandkids, that sort of thing. But uh, I want to give you, I want to give you the positive principle about giving. But before I do, I want to say this. Uh, you don't have to give gifts. As a matter of fact, you know, we ask our kids not to purchase gifts for us. Now, many of them still will if they have finance to do it, but we don't want them to, we want them to spend money on their kids. You know, we, we, we've had a great life. We, we do all right for ourselves. Why in the world should our kids be spending money? 
And also, you know, you may want to do things like where you're buying gifts, inexpensive gifts for your grandkids, or you might look at other ways that you can give. And I want to say this, um, giving uh, does something in the hearts of families when they give. So, so if somebody wants to give us a little gift or whatever, that, that's fine. But we don't understand the incredible dynamic of giving. You know, the Bible says that it's better to give than to receive. People quote that verse, but I don't know if they really believe it. Uh, one of the things that we understand, this is, a, this, this is made clear in the Bible, but also it is uh, proven psychologically that people often give gifts thinking that if I give gifts, uh, and I especially do this with their children, and when they're spoiling their children, if I give gifts and do things for my children, then the real truth is my children, uh, they, will, they will love me and that they will think, you know, value me. You know, that is absolutely not necessarily true because really what we know psychologically is when we give to other people, if they have character, if they are grateful, appreciative people, then they will value and appreciate what you do. And it may endear them to you to some degree. But the real truth is when we give to somebody, it's actually us who binds ourselves to them, unless you're trying to manipulate them, unless you're trying to, unless you're doing something to get some kind of response that you want to get from them. The, the real truth is giving a gift to someone else uh, is always about expressing value for them. And the gift that you give them, whatever it may be, the effort that you put into it, uh, the time, the money, or whatever that you put into it, uh, is you expressing the value that you have for them. And this, you know, one of the reasons that Christmas is so empty and so vain, so void, to, in these days that we live in is because just people just get a shopping list and, and, you know, they've got big families and they're under pressure financially, they're rushed. And, and so everything about Christmas really drifts into the whole commercial arena. And instead you're just trying to make your budget work and give people some decent gifts. And you're not really in your heart expressing value for them. You're not, you're not picking gifts or doing things for them that you know are going to make them feel valuable and make them feel precious. So, I, you know, personally, if, if you're struggling financially, uh, I would say to my family, say, you know what, I'm struggling financially. Or if you look at the world around you, so many people have been hurt financially by COVID, by, you know, by what, what's happening in the job market. But the honest truth is a lot of people cannot afford and should not waste their money buying gifts for each other. But you can turn this into something totally different according to what the desires of your family are. Just get together, have a covered dish, let everybody bring something, whatever it is that can, that can bring you together and you all can express value for each other, spend some meaningful time together. And, uh, uh, and, and you can turn this into something great. And when you do things for other people uh, where you're seeking to express value, 
Uh, I'm telling you, uh, it, it changes how you connect to them, how you feel about them. Now, if you ever mix manipulation in there where you're giving to get a response, I got news for you. That always leads to feelings of rejection and self-doubt and, and anger and frustration and all those kinds of things. But turn this into a time of actually expressing value for people. That's what love is. The word love in the Bible, the most, most uh, uh, significant expression of love in the Bible is to have value for someone, to consider them uh, precious and to hold them in a high regard, and then to find some way to express that to them. If you're not expressing that value, if you're not expressing the high regard you have for them or how precious they are to you, then the real truth is it's, it's of no benefit to them. Is that certainly of no benefit to you? Now, some of you have heard me tell the story about the, about a lady, great lady. Brenda and I used to stay with her in Neverville, Canada, when we would go up. She was part of the, the, the Claire Brown's family, and Claire was a great friend of mine and uh, uh, still, so I never get to, haven't seen him in years because we, I don't travel, I don't go to Canada anymore. But anyhow, uh, when his mother uh, lost her husband, you know, she really struggled with depression and um, she went to see a psychologist and, and get some counseling and, and she was in her seventies already. And one of the things that he did, uh, he said, I want you to go home. I want you to, uh, he found out something she'd like to do and she was a really good cook. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to start baking cookies and take them down to the senior center. Now, she was as old or older than a lot of these people in the senior center, but she was very healthy. She was a very robust woman. And uh, uh, so it really made her mad that she thought she'd wasted her money to go get this counseling and he wanted her to go make cookies. And, but finally, you know, she said, you know what? I paid this guy 75 bucks to go talk to him. So I'm at least going to try it once. Well, the amazing thing was she began to pull out of her depression, which brings me to one of the, one of the very next steps. And that is uh, start doing things for other people. You know, depression, and, and I'm not trying to beat you up and make you feel bad, but in depression, we start becoming pensive. We start rethinking th reasons why we feel sorry for ourselves, reasons why our life is not working. I mean, we, a, a lot of them are legitimate. A lot of them are not legitimate. But the thing is, as long as our focus is on ourselves, we're going to go deeper and deeper into depression. And the truth is, we may never recover. It can cost us our marriage. It can cost us our relationship with our kids. It causes our relationship with our friends. Uh, uh, it can cause us uh, our job. I've seen a lot of people end up destroying their entire life because they would not deal with depression. And, you know, you may know how to do heart work. And, and if you do, if you use some of my heart physics tools, you know how to pull out of this stuff just in a minute. But many people have never done that. And many people get so depressed that they don't feel like they can do some of these internal things. So one of the simplest things you can do is do things for other people. Look outside of yourself. Uh, one of the things about, about selfishness, selfishness is the opposite of love. And so when you get into depression and you're focusing on yourself, you are not going to be serving and blessing other people. You're going to, you're really going to want other people to pet you and pamper you or, uh, and you're going to, you're, you're going to drown in your suffering. Almost everybody that knows Brenda uh, and me, you know that uh, one of the things that we started doing, and it was the. Uh, it was, I think we started on the first Thanksgiving that we were married. Uh, if not, it was the second, I can't remember for sure. But anyhow, you know, one of the things that 
we did. And this made such an incredible difference. But now Brenda wanted to do this. I didn't force her to do this. But, you know, I talked to her about, about my struggles about Christmas and, and, uh, and also the fact that suicide rates tend to go up. Uh, and, and, you know, people were contacting me, wanting help, wanting counseling, all this kind of stuff. And so we lived in a tiny little 1,100 square foot apartment. I mean, it, it was tiny. And uh, so, and we didn't have any money. I'm, I'm telling you, we were so broke. But we scrounged around and got everything we could. And we invited uh, singles, widowers, divorcees, people who had no family in, in Huntsville. And uh, we cooked, a, a, or Brenda cooked a meal for them. I mean, I helped as much as I could. But we turned this into uh, an opportunity to reach beyond ourselves and touch and be a blessing to other people. And I'm telling you, um, you know, the, the, those people came and, uh, you know, our dining room, our tiny little dining room was, was full. People were sitting on the couch. Uh, people were sitting up the steps. People were standing up in the kitchen. We probably had maybe 20 people there that very, that very first time. And so by stepping out of ourselves and by seeking to be a blessing to other people. And again, we made sure everybody understand this is, do not bring us any gifts. Uh, this is, you know, we, we just want to have time of fellowship and friendship, get together. And, and we did, you know, an interesting thing happened right after that. Now, now you know, I was in the throes of, of this kidney disease that I had. And I'm telling you, it had, it had completely destroyed me financially. You know, I had no insurance through most of it. I was on experimental medication that back in the eighties, uh, uh, cost, uh, $125 a day. And uh, man, we were broke, 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 broke. Plus, we we're trying to feed kids and and uh, all kind, all kinds of things. We're just sucking every dime we had. I'll never forget one of the single ladies that we invited to this to this first thing. Um, afterwards, you know, she was talking to me about struggling with loneliness and depression. I said, "Well, you know what? My advice to anybody that's that's lonely or depressed is start being a blessing to other people. Start doing things for other people." not trying to get anything back from them, but because you, you're just going to give it and you're going to be a blessing. And it was really interesting. One of the remarks that she made was, well, you know, I'm not like you and Brenda. I don't have plenty of money to, to buy food to feed people. Now, I, I didn't say anything, uh, but number one, you can always do a potluck and have a covered dish, have people, everybody bring a little bit. If your house is not big enough, you might find a friend that says, well, we can do it at my house. You know, my house is big enough. Uh, but what was so very interesting about that is she didn't realize when our friends left on that Thanksgiving day, we didn't even have enough food left the last two or three days. I mean, we barely had enough food left to, 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 uh, provide lunch for our children at school the following week. And it's not about the resources you have. The thing is when you commit yourself to do something, when you choose to do something, I'm telling you somehow or another, you can always, always, always find the resources that you need to do it. And like I say, many times, many times it's going to be, it's going to be people who uh, uh, pitch in or it's going, to, it's going to be other, you know, other people that help, or it's just going to be you discovering and finding the resources and being willing to use them. I will, I will tell you one more gift. I mean, you know, the, the, the emotional gifts are the ones that really transform people. 
I used to tell our ushers, our staff, everybody that worked with me in my ministry, I would remind them continuously. Uh, uh, it, it is really when people walk out these doors, they're going to forget most of what I said in any sermon that they heard me preach. But I tell you what they won't forget. They will not forget how we made them feel when they were here. Did we make them feel valuable? Did we make them feel wanted? Did we make them feel precious? Or did we, or, or what did we do? You know, did our, did our ushers act like Gestapo or, or what, you know, how, how did all that go? So, so, you know, I, I realize that it's the, it is what you can do in making loving and or emotional or healthy connections with other people. That's what, that's what brightens them. That's what lifts up their life. That's what gets them encouraged. And so, you know, kindness, mercy, any of these things are gifts that you give to people. It's kind of interesting. When Luke 6, 38 talks about giving, it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and run it over, shall men give unto your bosom. That's not talking about money. I mean, it, it money applies, but really, if you read that in context, it's talking about mercy. It's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about kindness. And so, and so when we sow this into other people's lives, and we're not doing it to get them to respond to us, but the truth is many of those people are going to respond to us. Many of those people are going to be so broken, they can't respond to us. So, you know, just give gifts, the gift of kindness and love and friendship. Give a gift of laughter. Try, you know, get together and try to have, have a good time. If you're not good at, at getting conversations, go and invite somebody to your, to your get together that, that really is good at. But let me tell you, I think one of the most important gifts that you could give somebody, and it doesn't even have to be called a gift, but maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you finally look at the fact. Remember, one of the parables that Jesus taught is that uh, when we are freely forgiven, we should never withhold forgiveness from anybody. And he taught an entire parable. And all those parables were about how to live so that you function in the kingdom and you experience righteousness, peace, and joy. And so, and so, man, we, we've received this incredible merciful forgiveness. And the problem is, you know, when I hear a believer say they can't forgive, honestly, I have to just kind of, I have to take a big gulp because I just, I really want to pounce on them. It's like, sure you can, if you want to, uh, either that or Jesus is an idiot or a liar because Jesus basically said, look, don't, don't tell me you need faith. And this is in the book of Luke. Don't I think it's 17, Luke 17. Don't tell me you need faith to forgive somebody. He says, if you, if you got faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can say this tree be plucked up and, 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 you know, and it'll be plucked up by the roots. Don't, this is not a faith issue. This is an attitude issue. And forgiveness is not saying that what they did is all right. The truth is the first step in forgiveness is you sending away the offense. You choose. I don't want to be offended by that anymore. Now, I'm not talking about getting involved with people that are hurtful. I'm not going to go back and get involved with people that are abusive. But first and foremost, send it away from you. And really, if they need the burden of guilt and shame lifted off of their shoulders, forgive them. Just call them up and, and give them the best Christmas gift that they may have ever had. Don't, don't explain yourself. Don't try to say, now, this was your part. This is my part. Just say, you know what? We had this big blow up a long time ago. I just want you to know that uh, uh, I want you to forgive me for my part. And so I want you to know that I forgive you of anything that happened. And uh, because sometimes people don't really realize they need to get forgiven. But can you imagine 
maybe some of the places where you have hurt people in the past, you've done them wrong, and and they were and uh, uh, they were to call you and say, you know what, I I prayed this through. I just want to forgive you. I want you to experience the goodness of God. And what a gift that would give people. So listen now, don't forget, click and get the free download on creating happy holidays. And if you're struggling with emotional depression, sorrow, sadness. I go to my website. I've got free, all kinds of free videos. Plus, I've got hundreds of uh, audio series that will teach you how to walk through these emotional issues in a way that is incredibly, incredibly easy and brings incredible victory. So you decide you're going to have a great holiday, and then you invest in yourself and in other people and find the way that's going to work for you and your family to make it happen. Listen, God bless you. I'll be talking to you again next week, and you don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.